Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Hey, we don't always start this way, but I'm going to ask you to uh, join me and stand. We, we don't always pray whenever we open a Sunday school class, but next is a little bit different. So we just, we just kind of go with the flow, but um, we're standing to pray today because I need it. <laughs> so um, let's, let's just pray and uh, pray that God would help us to hear and help us to have the right kind of hearts that we need to be able to receive what it is he has for us today. So let's just all pray. Lord, we're grateful to be here this morning and um, we're thankful for what you have to say to us. And I'm just going to pray that you would help me today and uh, help me to communicate well, but uh, help my spirit and attitude while I do it. And I'm going to pray that you would help everybody else's too. In Jesus name. God bless you. You can be seated today. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I'll tell you what, it's great to see you, and I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, took the time today out of your Sunday to come and be with us and next. And uh, you are actually joining us for day three of our series, Starting Over, making next time better than last time. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We want next time to be better than last time. So if you're starting over in anything, if you're starting over in a relationship, if you're starting over in a career, if you're starting over academically, if you're starting over physically, it's the beginning of the year, how's that New Year's resolution going? If you're starting over spiritually, any, any place that you're starting, if you find yourself in a transition, maybe you're not starting over right now, it, you haven't started over yet, but you're in a transition between a not so great round one, but you know round two's coming, if you're in that transition, if you're already in round two and round two is starting to look a lot like round one did and that's got you concerned, if, if you find yourself in that place, then this series is for you. It's for you. It's for all of us because at some point we all find ourselves having to start over. So what we're trying to do right here at the beginning of 2018, whenever people's minds are on making a fresh start, is to give you something that will help you make next time better than your last time. And all of this material comes from Andy Stanley, who pastors uh, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. All of this stuff is his. I take credit for none of it. The guy's brilliant. I'm just regurgitating, and I, I need it. And chances are some of you do too. So first week, we introduced this idea of starting over, and we talked about following directions and how that can save us some time if we'll actually check out the directions instead of just throwing them away. And we started, uh, we also talked about mistakes and how it seems like we tend to learn uh, from our mistakes in areas that matter least. And we tend to repeat our mistakes in areas that matter most. And then we talked about three myths to starting over. The experience myth, the no better myth, and the time myth. And then last week, we started digging into that evaluated experience piece because the experience myth uh, tells us that um, experience makes me wiser, but experience doesn't make you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. So we started digging into that experience piece last week, and we looked at three steps or three components to starting over. And those three steps are own it. We talked about that last week. And then rethink it. That's today. And the next week we'll talk about release it. Own it, rethink it, release it. And last week's big idea was this, that in order for you to not repeat your negative history, you have to own your role in the negative history. And I got so much positive feedback from people this past week. Whenever I was sending out those next reminds, everybody was like, wow, Jason, this is just what I needed. I feel so much better. No, that's not what happened at all. 
people are like this owning thing, not feeling it, don't like it, not fun. Yeah, I'm with you. But we talked about Adam and Eve and the blame game, how they messed up and they didn't take responsibility. They hid until they get caught, which is what we tend to do. And then they blame somebody else after they did get caught, which is what we tend to do. Adam said, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. So, God, this is your fault and her fault, but it's not my fault. Eve said, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. The serpent deceived me. Yeah, one rule, just one rule. And they couldn't keep it, so they messed it up for everybody. They got afraid. They tried to hide. They got caught. They blamed somebody else. And then they had to start over. And we do the same thing. But if you don't own your part of your own history, you lay the groundwork for undermining your future. If you don't own your part of your history, then you lay the groundwork for undermining your future. Because while it's true, you can blame your way into the future, you cannot blame your way into a better future. And that's what we want. Blame enables us to smuggle our issues into the future. Blame sets us up for repeat performance. And if we want clarity to make decisions, good decisions, then we can't blame, we have to own. So we gave you some next steps last week, a little exercise with the circle of blame. If you want to make peace with your past, you have to own your piece of the past. Maybe you did that. Maybe you actually wrote some things down. I promise you this. If you will take the time to actually write it down, something will change. But until you write it down and make it real, it's not going to change. And as long as you're comfortable with it, it's not going to change. Because nothing changes until we decide to confront it. And whenever you write it down and make it real, you got something to confront. So now this week, this week, that was all review. Step number two, component number two, dynamic number two, whatever you want to call it. Rethink it. Rethink it. So here's our big idea for those of you taking notes. And everybody wants to take notes because Jesus likes it when you take notes. So here's our big idea. If you think the way you used to think, if you think the way you used to think, you'll do the things you used to do. If you think the way you used to think, you'll do the things you used to do. Whenever you think on the thing that you're having to restart, you know, everybody's in a different place today. But whatever it is that you're having to restart or whatever it is that you're currently in right now that you know, all right, I'm going to have to restart this at some point again in the future. Whatever that is, at some point along the way, even whenever it wasn't our fault, even whenever it's really hard, we talked about last week, you got to find that peace of the blame, even whenever it's really hard to find that one little piece to own, at some point we think back and as we process it all and whenever we go back over it and how it all went down and what she said and what he said and then they did it, at some point we usually tend to ask ourselves this, this very important question. If you're taking notes, you need, to, you need to get this one down. We tend to ask ourselves this question, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And when we ask that question, I don't know about your experience, whenever I ask myself that question, it's usually preceded by some type of noise. Ugh, what was I thinking? Mmm, what was I thinking? And we'll even emphasize different words. 
right, depending on how bad it was, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And if it's really like really, really, really bad, then you emphasize all of the words in the same sentence at the same time. What was I thinking? So like, you know, and then sometimes we even do this, right? We add, you know, like we're trying to get to our brains through our thick skull. What was I thinking? So you put them all together, right? And it's like this. Ah, what was I thinking? Mm, what was I thinking? Who's been there? Anybody been there? Mama tried to tell me she's not the one. What was I thinking? All of my friends tried to warn me about him. What was I thinking? Zero percent down finance for eight years. <laughs> what? What was I thinking? I saw the warning signs in the interview. Whenever I went to the interview, I saw the warning signs, but I took the job anyway because the money was good. What was I thinking? Most of us ask that question at some point. And here's the amazing thing about that question. Whenever we look back, most of our decisions don't even make sense to us. That's why we ask the question. We look back and say, I, I should have seen that coming. I totally should have seen that coming. What was I thinking? Now, that's, that's a great question. It is a great question. And we don't normally ask it in the best of circumstances, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a great question. Here's the catch, though. We might intuitively ask it, but very few of us actually pause long enough to camp out on that question to come up with an answer. It's just it's like sort of this statement that we just throw out there. What was I thinking? And off we go. What was I thinking? There we go again. What was I thinking? Oh, she's cute. What was I thinking? Oh, he's hot. Swipe right. What was I thinking? Let's go shopping. What was I thinking? That couch would look great with that rug. What was I thinking? I really need a new truck. And we go off again without ever really coming up with an answer to the question. Just kind of whatever, but not pausing long enough to come up with an answer. Can I just submit to you today? Great questions deserve great answers. But in this case, it seems like we'll just take any answer or no answer at all. What was I thinking? But if you want to ensure that next time is better than last time, hitting the pause button on this question is and really considering the, an answer to this great question that you just asked yourself, it is absolutely key to making next time better than last time. Here's why. Because if you think the way you used to think, you will continue to do what you used to do. It's just that simple. If you keep thinking the way you were thinking last time, then next time you're going to do the same things you did last time. So here's what here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that, that highlights the importance of thinking and thinking the right way. And then at the end of our time today, I want to give you six lethal assumptions or, or six lethal thoughts that people carry around with them 
out of round one and into round two, and it, it undermines their future. So that's where we're headed today. It's not enough to just ask the question, what was I thinking? Because it's a great question. You owe yourself an answer. You owe yourself an answer to that question. So let's go back to the book of Romans. Now, for those of you that were here uh, for Mind Monsters, and, and our, our class makeup has changed a little bit, but a couple of years ago we did uh, in the springtime Mind Monsters. Who was with us for that? Anybody? All right, yeah, quite a few. So for those of you that were with My Monsters, this uh, passage of Scripture should sound, should sound familiar, but we're going to the book of Romans and give you a little bit of background. Um, this is actually a letter. The book of Romans is a letter, and it was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in Rome. Now, you don't have to know a whole lot of history to know that Rome was pretty hostile toward Christians, right? They fed them to lions, executed, all that kind of stuff. So Paul's writing to people who are new converts. Watch this. Let's, let's put it in context. Context matters. He's writing to people who are new converts. They've not been to Sunday school their whole life. They're not living in the Bible Belt. All of this Jesus stuff is pretty new to everybody. And so he's writing to those types of people that are living underneath this oppressive Roman government and empire. So watch this. And this is Apostle Paul writing. Apostle Paul is somebody who understands starting over. This guy knows what it's like to have to start over because he, he lived with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt over the life that he had lived before he became a Christian. Right? Because he had tried to stamp it out. He was responsible for putting people in jail that believed in Jesus. He was responsible for having people executed that believed in Jesus. That believed in Jesus. Paul probably, probably... Y'all imagine this with me. Isn't it, isn't it easy to imagine that Paul probably went to church with people that he had put in jail? He probably went to church with people who were relatives of people that he had had put in jail. He probably rubbed shoulders and went to church and wrote letters to people that had relatives that he had had executed. So Paul knows what it's like and he understood. He understood starting over. He knew what it was like to have to back up and start over. He understood that tension. So what he has to say is, is pretty important in this regard because he gets it. And he was a product of the very thing that we're talking about. So Romans 12 and 1, we're going to look at two, uh, two scriptures in Romans 12 and 1 and 12 and 2. And um, I'm breaking with tradition today, not New Living Translation, NIV. Paul says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So stop right there. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook with this one. Paul's writing to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in Jesus, you're off the hook with this. But if you're a Christian, and you do believe in Jesus, hurt, uh, your, your hook has been inserted. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, not just your minds, not just your ties, not just your offerings, not just your hour on Sunday, I want you to offer your bodies. I urge you to offer your bodies. Give him everything as a living sacrifice. So whenever he's talking to some people that most of them are Jews, but not all of them, but they all would have been very familiar with the ideas of animal sacrifice. We think differently. Whenever he says sacrifice, we think other things. We think, oh, money sacrifice or, or, or giving up my sweets for 21 days during, <laughs> you know, my 21 days of sacrifice. No, they're seeing like bloody animals, gory altars, sacrifice. He said, I want you to give yourselves as a living sacrifice, not just a dead animal, but yourself and your day-to-day -day lives because you're a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And Paul says, you know what, that might be a little bit difficult. 
difficult for some of these new converts to understand. Let me show you what this would look like. So that's where we get verse 2. So he dives in the details of what this would actually look like in verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here we go. Here we go. Do not conform. Do not conform. A little bit of a language here, but a language lesson here, but this is good stuff. I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to use Google. So in the Greek, that word conform, this is fun to say, suske maritso. Suske maritso. Everybody say that with suske. Come on, everybody. Suske maritso. Put them together. Suske maritso. We sound Italian. It's Greek. I don't know. Suske maritso. All right, that's the Greek word. Probably not even saying it right. But look, this comes from two, two Greek words. That word, suske maritso, comes from two Greek words. I can't pronounce either one of those. We're not even going to try. They've got like weird letters in there. But it comes from two Greek words, one that means identified with, and another that means having an outward shape. So whenever you identified with, outward shape. So whenever you put them together, you get this word that Paul used here. Good job. You put those, you get, this is what it means. Listen to this. Assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern, mold, or model. Assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern, mold, or model. So what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to be modeled. I don't want you to be molded. I don't want you to be pressed into the same pattern as this world. So let let me illustrate this for you. Paul is saying, don't be this guy. Don't be this guy. It's like next, 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 next where we change the color of their eyes, we change the color of their hair, we might change their smile a little bit, but basically everybody looks the same. No, this is not, this is, Paul's saying, hey, Christians, don't don't be this guy. Don't simply be pressed into the mold and pattern of this world. And then he gives us $10 word, a a juxtaposition. Contrast, right? For the, uh, it's a comparison for the sake of making contrast. He says, I don't want you to be conformed I want you to be transformed. I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed. And Paul's setting you up here and so am I. Don't be conformed. How much, how much intentionality does it take to be conformed? How much, how much discipline and life on purpose living does it take to be conformed? Yeah. Some of you got, let me help you out. Zero. None. It it doesn't take any at all. Zero discipline and intention to be conformed. You just wake up and you wing it and you see what happens and live life conformed. Paul says, I want you to be different from that. I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to conform. I want you to be transformed. I want you to lean in. I want you to decide. I want you to to be intentional. I want you to live on purpose. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Another way to say it. Don't be this guy. Oh, y'all are gonna love this. Don't don't be this guy. <laughs> be this guy. 
juxtaposition, placing two things side by side for the sake of comparison. Paul knew what he was doing. Now, who do you want to be? If you're giving me a choice, if you're giving me a choice, I don't want to be this guy. I want to be this guy. Who wants to be that whenever you could be this? I don't want to be a conformer. I want to be a transformer. Don't be stamped out like everybody else in culture. You can be transformer. Who doesn't want to be who doesn't want to be transformed? Who doesn't want to be a transformer? I don't want to be stamped out like everybody else. I don't want to be old, fat, and gooey, and bitter, and broke, and in debt. Sometimes I'm still some of those things. I don't want to be jaded and cynical and have a bad attitude. Nathan, I want to be a transformer. I want to be transformed. Well, look, Paul says, hey, listen, you want to know how to do, you, don't, you want to know how to keep from being this and be this instead? And we're like, yeah, tell me how to be Bumblebee. I want to... How do I be a transformer? Paul says, okay, I'm going to tell you. By the renewing of your mind. Oh. Paul says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But the problem we all know, right, with living sacrifices is they can just crawl right off the altar. They don't stay there. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, but in order for your body to do the things that a living sacrifice actually does, you've got to make some changes in here. I know in Christendom we talk a lot about the heart, and the heart is an issue, but it's also a battle for the mind sometimes, and there's some changes that have to take place up here as well. You've got to pay attention, Paul was saying, into what you're actually thinking. Whenever you look back and you say, what was I thinking? Paul's saying, pause just a minute and actually answer the question. Because you are transformed, not simply by the engagement of your will. Okay, listen, theology lesson. If your will was enough, then the law would suffice and Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If the engagement of your will was enough, no cross necessary. Just keep living under the law. That would have been enough. But the engagement of your will is not enough. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's talk about renewal for just a minute. Renewal basically means to restore. Anyone here ever restored a piece of furniture? Really? Get them up. I, I want to see these people. You've restored a piece of, like, really restored a piece of furniture. Okay, I have not. I watched a TV show where some people did it once. I'm, so I'm basically an expert. I know all about it. HGTV, baby. I'm kidding. But I've seen it done. I've heard about it. I've talked to people that have done it. I like some of it. What about restored paint on a car? Anybody? No, nobody on that one. What about uh, restoring the finish on some cabinets? We did that one, didn't we, baby? Hated every minute of it. Good old house on Carol Ann back in the day. So to refinish furniture or refinish cabinets or refinish paint on a car, you've got to grind off the old. You've got to strip off the old. 
before you put on the new. It's, just, it's part of the process, right? If you want renewal, and it's no fun, it's a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time. And when you, whenever you're in the middle of the process of taking off the old, nobody walks up and says, wow, that looks amazing. People do walk up and say, hmm, you got some work to do. Hmm, looking a little rough. Mm, it actually looks worse now than what it did before you started. Because the finish that was on it was hiding some of the blemishes that were hiding underneath. Why would you spend so much time? Why would you spend so much energy to simply taking something off? Why do all that work? Just slap something new on it. Right? Just cover it up. Put something on it. Y'all know that doesn't work, right? Question. Why? Why do you spend all of that time and all of that energy and all that work? Because what happens if you put on the new before you take off the old? What happens? It comes off. It just comes right off. I don't care how many coats you put on it. It just peels right off. It doesn't stick. That's why all of us have, man, we have promised God. We have made commitments to God. Man, my, Jesus, my next time, my next job, my next relationship, my next church, my next semester, I, I promise I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, my next time, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And it just peels right off. Oh, that's not been your experience. That's just me. Uh-huh. It, the, the new just peels off. It has little to no effect because we never answered the question. What was I thinking? We knew we weren't thinking correctly. Because of the disaster that occurred, we knew we weren't thinking right, but we just moved right on to the next thing. And one of the reasons we don't spend time with this, well, there's your answer right there. Renewal takes time. Renewal takes time. That's why time, we talked about this in, in the first week. It's one of the three myths to starting over, that time is my enemy. Time is not your enemy. Time is your friend. Now, y'all have to understand the miracle of Jesus involved in this guy right here, standing up here on this stage right now, telling all of you, time is your friend. Because I don't think that way, do I, baby? Say it real loud so everybody can hear it. I don't, I don't think that way. I always feel like time is my enemy. There's always time tension. But time is your friend. Renewal takes time. Time is your friend. If you want to be transformed and not just conform, you've got to renew your mind. And renewal takes time. And time is your friend. You need time. You can't just slap on a new commitment. Oh, Coop, man, I'm ready to go. I got the Bible on my phone. Put me in. I'm all in now. You got to peel off some old and you, you ask the question, what was I thinking? But you never answered it. You never answered it. And maybe you can't. 
Now, this is one of those places where I'm just going to put in a maybe because I'm not sure. So y'all bear with me and give me some grace. But maybe you can't answer that question. Maybe all of us are incapable of answering that question. Because Paul used the word transform. Transform. That's another Greek word, metamorpho. It means to change the form, to transform. Watch this part. Transformed after being with. Maybe what Paul was telling us, your thinking is going to change when you're with the right person. After you've been with a certain person, your thinking starts to change. How many of you, we've used this illustration before, but you hang out with somebody long enough and you find yourself starting to say some of the things that they say. Your thinking changes. Your pattern changes after you spent some time with them. Who do you think you need to spend some time with to renew your mind? What y'all ashamed to say it? Thank you. Maybe after you spend some time with Jesus, your thinking gets renewed. I'd put in a maybe. But Paul certainly knew something. Because his life was an example of how his thinking changed after he had been with Jesus. So Paul knew. Paul knew sincerity, not enough. Commitment, not enough. You know that from your exercise program you used to have. You know that from the diet you used to be on. What is this, like diet number five? First it was low carb, then it was low fat, now it's keto, then it's paleo, now it's something else. Commitment, sincerity, they're not enough. Will, engage, is not enough. And, and Apostle Paul nailed it. you got to change the way you think, not just make a commitment. you got to change the way you think, not just be sincere. you got to renew your mind by who you're with, and it's going to take time. Rethink it. Not through some Herculean effort on your part. Not because you're just so driven and you're so put together and you're so. If you want to know, Paul's saying, you, don't, you want to know God's, who wants to know God's will for their life? Sign me up. Yes. FedEx me the package. I want to know God's will for my life. Paul said, you want to know God's good and perfect will for your life? You want to be able to discern the best way to go and be able to make the right decisions, good decisions? Paul's saying, you got to rethink it. You got to renew your mind. Regret, resolve, they're not enough. Because if you continue to think the way you used to think, then you're going to do what you used to do. So let me give you six lethal assumptions. That's what I called it. I like it. Six bad ideas. Six deadly thinkings. Six bad thoughts. Whatever you want to call it. Some of these things, they're not even going to be a speed bump for most of you. Some of, one of these might be an absolute Mount Everest for some of you. Some of you might kind of herk and jerk over two or three of them. It's okay. Because we're all human and we all need grace. But these are beliefs. These are assumptions that are they're buried in the operating system of our lives. And they keep kicking out these responses. We're like, where in the world did that come from? 
These are things that are just kind of hidden in our code. If I could just geek out for a minute. They're hidden in the code and they give us responses and replies and kick out results that we're like, I don't understand where this is coming from. It's because there's these things running in behind us and, and they wreck our futures if we aren't aware of them. So here's what you were thinking. We, we've been talking all morning about what was I thinking? You didn't pause enough long enough to uh, give yourself an answer. I'm going to give you some answers might not be your answer, but what was I thinking? Here's what you were thinking. Maybe. The first one is, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. That's all I just got. I got to find the right person. That could be dating material, spouse material, friend material, leader material, boss material, whatever. But if I find the right person, everything will be all right. Nope, wrong. If you become the right person, everything will be all right. Starting over. It's not about finding. Starting over is about becoming. It's not about finding a non-idiot. That was supposed to be funny. It's not about finding a non-idiot. Become a non-idiot that other non-idiots are attracted to. Be the change you're looking for in the world. All right, great. Become the non-idiot you're looking for. Committing isn't enough. Becoming the right person. Becoming the right person is what's important. I got to uh, say thank you to my friend BT. Um, this past summer, I just needed to get away for a little while. I, I had to get away and focus. And he and Nancy had this cabin up in uh, Ellick at the campgrounds. And I said, man, can I go stay? He's like, sure. You got to kind of fiddle with the air conditioner a little bit to make it work right. But, I mean, it was a great experience. Went up there for uh, about three days. And it was just me. And Jesus and my writing book and some podcasts and I spent some time in prayer and I spent some time listening to the word and, and it just just quiet, just quiet. And this was day two. And I know it was Jesus because I don't talk to myself this way. Come on, somebody. I, I'm kind of saying that in a funny way, but I'm serious at the same time. I don't talk to Jason like this. And I'm praying about the future and what's coming and how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I? Lord, I don't know how to get where I want to be. And after about an hour's and a half worth of me praying that same prayer, but just using different words to try to try to keep Jesus interested. This is what he said. He said, Jason, stop focusing on how and stop focusing on when. Focus on who you are. Focus on who you're becoming and focus on who I am. And it was like this bomb went off in my brain. It's about becoming the right person, not finding the right person. Got to rethink it. Got to rethink it. Spend some time becoming the person God wants you to be instead of searching for the right person to fill in the gap. Ooh. Andy Stanley didn't even say that. That was mine, Andy. All right, number two. My situation is unique. We're talking about six deadly assumptions, six lethal assumptions. Number two, my situation's unique. No, it's not. Sorry. I know this is going to hurt some of your feelings because it hurt my feelings whenever Andy told me. But your situation is not unique. Why do you think there are counselors and therapists and doctors and pastors you know, whenever you go to the doctor and you're sick and you tell the doctor there's something wrong, the doctor's able to diagnose you and prescribe some medicine. 
It's because people are the same. <laughs> Everybody's, that's why doctors are able to do that. They make educated guesses as to what's wrong with you and what will probably help. So here, you know, take this, do this. It should help. It helped every, you know, 98% of the people that told me the same stuff you told me. So I'm sorry, your situation is not that unique. Now, you're unique. You are totally unique. God designed you to be you, exactly you, for this time. You're unique, but your situation isn't. And this is why this is such a lethal assumption. Because this assumption, my situation is unique, that assumption right there is how you dodge the rules. That's how you dodge Scripture and wise counsel. You're lying to yourself. What was I thinking? Well, you were thinking that your situation is unique, so that gives you an excuse. Y'all are like, whoa, Jason. <laughs> You're unique. Your situation isn't. Number three, you got to rethink that. Number three, it's not right. It's not right, but it makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. It's not right, but it makes me happy. God wants me. Whoa, flash, slow down. What are you basing that one on? That, that's like first Jason, first Jason 12 and 22 from the NRT, the not real translation. I want me to be happy. Therefore, ergo, God wants me to be happy. I'm just not sure we've got a Bible for that. But even if it's in there, even if it's in there, if there's a scripture in there somewhere that says God wants you to be happy. There's certainly not a scripture that says God wants you to be happy. So do it even if it's wrong. Because if it's not right, it's wrong. It's not going to work out. What was I thinking? Well, you were thinking my situation's unique. So I'm going to talk myself into doing something that's wrong and I'm going to blame God for it. Because if it makes me happy and God wants me to be happy, then I should do it. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be loving. God wants you to be patient. He wants you to be kind. Love doesn't seek its own and it does not insist on its own way. God definitely wants all of those things for you. You got to rethink that one. Number four. If only I had blank, then I'd be happy. Let me ask you, do you know anybody that has just one tattoo? Okay, if you do, they're in the minority. They are in the minority, if you do. Now, I'm not preaching against tattoos. People got strong feelings about them either way. I think they're fascinating on other people. They've always got a story to tell about the tattoo. I'm not saying you should go get one so that you can tell a story. I'm just using an illustration. But I don't, I don't personally know anybody that has just one. They've got more than one, and they're already thinking about the next one they're going to get. And they will tell you about it in detail. Oh, I'm going to get this eagle, and it's going to be right here on my shoulder. It's going to have talons and gripping a tank. Here's the deal. Appetites are never fully satisfied. They're sated for a while. They'll go away for a little while, but they always come back. And the whole idea, if I had blank, I'd be satisfied is a lie. 
It's a lie, 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 lie. So go ahead and lease it. Go ahead and buy it. Go into debt to get it. But don't lie to yourself and tell yourself that you should do it based on the idea that if you do it, you'll be happy because you won't. It's just not true. What was I thinking? You were thinking, well, if I leased it and drove it, I'd be happy. But now you don't like making the payment. What was I thinking? You were thinking, Jason, if you bought that guitar, you'd sound like Slash, but you paid for it and now you still don't. You're still not happy. What was I thinking? You were believing a lie because those things that you bought and paid for and sacrificed for, they lost their shine. They lost their appeal. Number five, we got to hurry. I know. I know. I owe is better than I want. <laughs> Not a single person in here has ever thought those thoughts out loud. You've never even consciously recognized that thought, but it's running around in the back of our consciousness, man, whenever it comes to finances. I owe is better than I want. I want it, but I can't afford it. So am I going to sit around and want it? Or am I going to drive it around and owe on it? I want it, but I can't afford it. So am I going to sit around and want it? Or am I going to live in it and owe on it? Ooh. Am I going to sit around and want it? Or am I going to wear it and owe on it? Which tension do you want to live with? Because you're going to live with tension either way. You're either going to live with the tension of wanting it, or you're going to live with the tension of owing on it. Which tension do you want to live with? What was I thinking? Uh, you were thinking it's better to owe than to want. Don't lie to yourself. You've got to rethink that. Here's number six. Look, those have all been light, light, easy. Number six, mm, my secret is safe with me. No, it isn't. No, it is not. Secrets are bad. Secrets are dangerous. Because we're always as sick as our secrets, right? Secrets in relationships, secrets in your career, secrets in your habits. Don't lie to yourself because your secret isn't safe and it's killing you. What was I thinking? You were thinking that your secret was safe because it wasn't hurting anybody, but it's making you sick. Let me give you some next steps and we'll go. I can do this in two minutes. If you're starting over in something, if you're in transition, if you're looking forward to round two, we really want to make sure that next time is better than last time. So answer the question. What was I thinking? I mean, really, answer the question. Here's what I want you to do. Sit down with a pen. Sit down with some paper. Y'all like, oh, here Jason goes again. I love to hear the groans from the people that actually do this. And some of you are like, I ain't doing this. I mean, I'll like write it down like I'm acting like I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. But it's going to help some of you. Sit down with me and write down the answer to your question. You starting over in dating? Well, what were you thinking last time? Starting over in marriage? Well, what were you thinking last time? Starting over in your career? What were you thinking last time? Starting over at a new church? What were you thinking last time? Are you starting over in your spiritual commitments? Awesome. But what were you thinking last time? You starting over physically. 
trying to get into shape, whatever shape that might be. Well, what were you thinking last time? Write it down, make it real. Because if you want next time to be better than last time, you got to rethink it. Got to rethink it. Next week, because this has all been light stuff, easy stuff. All that uh, owning it, Sister Patricia, easy, not a problem. Rethinking it, easy, not a problem. Next week, we're going to talk about release it. Release it. God bless you. Y'all have a wonderful Sunday. We're not even going to pray. Y'all go.